Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Point Noted Podcast with my co-host, OCO. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Betsy Sweet, and she is running for Senate for May. Betsy, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I am great, Johnny. Hi, OCO. This is Betsy. Um, I'm doing great. It's a gorgeous day here, and uh, you know, getting most people getting ready for a long weekend, and so it's exciting. Absolutely. I can't wait to get outside myself. Uh, I yeah. think I just got off work, so uh, I figured let's, uh, let's get you on. Let's have a little chat and conversation, talk about your platform and these issues that you're running on, and uh, and why we got to get you in the Senate and give it of, uh, you know, that other woman that's in there right now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right, right. So we'll give you the floor. So just, uh, just tell the people listening who you are and why you're running and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, so... I am running. Um, it's, a, it's a really important Senate seat in Maine because it is um, one of the four seats that gonna, that's going to flip the Senate. So, you know, I think we have a chance to flip this seat, but I think it matters how we flip it. And I think it matters, um, you know, given this pandemic and everything, I thought we were in trouble before, but now I think we're really in trouble. And I think that we are sort of at this critical juncture in our country now where we have the opportunity to really make decisions about what way we're going to go. And we see how fragile our economy is, our political system is, and how many right. people are getting left behind and um, how many people are, you know, in, uh, you know, the system, economic and political systems have betrayed them. And I think that we have to go back and take back our democracy and start putting people back in it. And that sounds like, you know, that sounds like some campaign slogan, but I, but I I really mean it. Like I, I've been working, Johnny, um, I've been working for almost 40 years now in the state of Maine Mm. as an advocate for people and working on things like um, we wrote the first clean elections act in the country to get money out of politics. So you can run with public financing in Maine, state or local race, you know, working on healthcare so that we all have healthcare and, you know, college or, and technical schools so we can have those free. You know, those are things that matter to people and that we can get done and people have said are impossible. But I've spent my whole life getting impossible things done. So I think we need that in Washington now big time. And that's why I'm running. Absolutely. That sounds great. And we do need people like you out there in Washington. Uh, and I was looking at your background and you definitely have a background in helping people. I feel like everything you've been doing, like you said, for the last 40 years uh, is being, being an activist and speaking for the people. Uh, you know, just being that face and that voice that helps them come together and get what's needed uh, for the right people. But you mentioned that we have to get money out of politics. And I know what's here now is after this conversation, which is how do we do that? Because even when we do get folks elected, that money comes and changes them. It feels like once you get there, you change. So how do we change that? How do we fix that? Well, first of all, um, let me just say that, you know, because I've been doing it for a long time and being in this political arena for a long time, I am pretty confident in uh, who I am and my beliefs. So I'm not going to get let Washington change me. I'm going to change them. <laughs> so that's number right. one. But that's get, good. <laughs> yeah. But to get money out of politics, you know, I think we have to do a couple of things. One is to obviously overturn Citizens United, which was the court case that said corporations can just give all they want. Um, but that's a, you know, that's a big, but I think two other things that we can do. 
One is to create a clean election system like we have here in Maine, which is a voluntary system, but it allows people to get a whole bunch of small $5 contributions and get a number of them. Then you get that matched by public financing. So it's a, it's an extraordinary system. um, And, you know, it's really changed politics in Maine a lot. Um, So I think that's the thing we can do federally. And then I think the third thing we have to do is look at it from the other end which is we have to limit the campaign season to 12 weeks because no, okay. no one needs to listen to this stuff for two years. Right. <laughs> you know? Very true. Very true. People stop paying attention. And so, no, right. you no. Know, so people are like, ah, I'm so sick of it by the time the election comes around. And, you know, every other country does it this way. You know, England, it's six weeks and Canada, it's 30 days. Japan is 12 days. Can you imagine right. a presidential cycle? You know, oh so, so I think we, I think the only people the long campaign season benefits are all the consultants and the pollsters and the, you know, the people who make a and lot. The, yes. Yeah. So, so anyway, I think those are some ways we can get at it. Sorry to break you up there. I was, I was going to say, and the incumbents because they also have the wherewithal, at least financial support, uh, to keep the campaign going and kind of yeah. keep their name in the in the news for not doing anything particularly except just being who they are. They're not like changing uh, uh, policies that affect people as much, but you know, just being in the news cycle constantly, uh, yeah. it's advantage incumbents. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Osai, I wanna say that the one thing about this, my 12 week idea mm-hmm. is that you could, you could go and do what I think democracy is all about. You could go talk to people, go have town halls, go visit people in their in their communities, um, in their workplaces, for as long as you wanted. You could do that for 10 years. What, right. you, do, what you couldn't do is raise or spend money because right. that's where corruption comes in. That's where right. the influence comes in. So, so, and I think, because people are you know, worried about an even more incumbent advantage, but I think they've already got, as you said, a huge advantage. And this, allow, this would allow them, you know, they have the advantage in raising money as well. And this would take that away from them. Absolutely. I mean, you you don't have to spend so much money. I mean, well, you can, but in a way, if you only have if you only have twelve weeks, uh, a couple of weeks to actually do your campaign and get it out there, I think it definitely makes the race a little more interesting. We cannot actually pay attention because, yep. like you said, we can ignore the candidate for the first year right. of the campaign, <laughs> and then we can say, "All right, we'll start listening three months before the election, exactly. figure out what they're talking about." So it's, I mean, it's just too much time in between, and you need so much money to keep that funded and keep that going. Yeah. I mean, my race, this race against Susan Collins, they are saying that this race is going to cost between a hundred and a hundred and fifty million dollars. Wow. That's obscene. We only have, we only have a million people in the state and only 8,000 of them vote. That's disgusting. And especially now, anytime, but especially now at a time where people don't have jobs, where people don't have food, we can't get testing and protective equipment to people to spend. $150 $150 million on this race. I mean, what, right. you know, and the, what they're in the way they're spending it, right. Is negative ads and, you know, yeah. pieces that nobody wants to read, you know, it's right. like, <laughs> so it's just, it's just appalling. And it's just like this right. a nuclear arms race only in terms of campaign money. And right. the other thing that's gotten so sick about it in my view is that that's how they judge whether or not a candidate is viable or not. Wow. Right. 10 million in the bank or 15 million in the bank or 2 million. Right. Exactly. It's so, right. I mean, yeah. Right. And with the more money you have, the more people you can reach, uh, the more you can uh, just kind of blast the, the media in the, the airway with all kinds of things that you want us to listen to. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
Talk about who do you see? Who do you see? And who do you hear? Right. Sometimes it becomes who am I hearing? Who am I seeing on TV? Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a, that's what you end up probably voting for because you don't have time to actually go out there and do your proper research. Right. And and because you're sick of it because it's been going on forever and they've been testing, you know, through pollsters and stuff, what to yep. say and how yep. to say it. Right. Like conversation. Right. Yeah. Poll tested right. questions. I, I guess where one thing I wanted to know, you know, coming in into the interview, Betsy, was the the where we are in America today, it seems it's come down now to the establishment versus more progressive wing of the party, at least on the Democratic side. Mm-hmm. Uh, something similar happened, uh, although for it magically disappeared under Trump, but there was a very um, populist side, the Tea Party side of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were kind of going head to head with the establishment and they made major, major waves, uh, but they've died out. They've completely died out since Trump came in, except maybe Justin Amash. Um, So now on the left side, where where do you think we are right now? Because clearly there's the establishment and then there's the more progressive wing, which was kind of championed by Bernie, uh, who's Mm -hmm. taking the backseat now. Mm-hmm. How do you see that divide? How do you see, where do you come in on that divide? I, I kind of think I know where you are based on your, your website <laughs> and your policies. Right, right. But yeah. I just wanted to see, again, what do you think about where things are? I'm looking again, one of the things that came out recently. Sorry to go on so long. No, no, go. But we have uh, Stacey Abrams, who happens to be the media's new latest darling and that's not not necessarily a bad thing but yeah. she, she endorsed several people including the race in maine and seems like she she's behind the speaker speaker gideon mm-hmm. how does that all balance out how do you see it from a, a national perspective but also locally yeah well you know i i really think that the divide that you're talking about um is I don't see it left and right or even left and right within a party. I really see it up and down. Mm. I really mm. see the divide is between most of us, regular old normal Americans, and then the political elite. <laughs> and whether that's the Democratic political right. elite or Republican political elite, and they're tied to money, they're tied to big donors, they're tied to a reality that has nothing to do with our lives. And that's why I think right. people are off. And so, you know, when Trump came along, I think people were like, I mean, he had certainly had a bunch of money, but he was willing to poke the system in the eye. And people were like, yeah, I want to poke the system in the eye, too. And I think the same is true for Bernie supporters. We want to poke the system in the eye because we want to say, gosh, damn it, this is this system is not working for us. You are not paying attention to what's important in our lives, because if you were, we'd have health care. If we right. have a minimum wage that was 15 bucks or more an hour so that we could actually make ends meet. If right. you're paying one iota of attention and then we see a pandemic come along and all of a sudden, all the things that we said we couldn't afford, all of a sudden there's billions of dollars right. that magically appear. And some of that's been helpful and that's good. I appreciate that. But a lot of that money went to corporations and cruise lines and, you know, the, the, uh, hotels and the Harvards and, you know, I mean, so, but, but the point is that the money is there if they want it, 
It's not, they can never afford, we can never afford it. The elite can't afford it when it's going to empower and help people who aren't part of that elite. And that's what, I think that's where the divide is. And that's the sort of populism um, that I think, you know, if I have to give it a name, but that's where people are. And I think that's why a lot of people don't vote, but I also why it's why people get excited about the, the, the edges of each party because Mm -hmm. we're mad. And, and, right. and I think realistically, so I really think the divide is up and down. And, you know, I, I ran for governor two years ago and, um, you know, I, I went to every corner of this state and, you know, the divide, the, the left and right and, you know, in Maine, it's north and south. I didn't find it. You know, I found mm. people's values were very similar. You know, right. I, didn't, I didn't meet one person who said, hey, Johnny, you're sick. I don't care if you go to a doctor. They want you to go to a doctor and they don't want you to get, they don't want you to get go bankrupt having to do it. So, right. I, you know, I think it's really us versus the elite. And honestly, I think one of the big gulfs that creates that divide is money and politics. And the fact that we're spending millions and gazillions of dollars on races and, you know, that separates them further and further from us and our, our daily lives. I know. What do you think about that? I think you hit it right on the head. It is up and down. Right. Um, it is, the trickle down versus the trickle up. And I think really what has solidified that divide, it's like, basically it's like a magic trick that just keeps happening is the media. Yeah. The media is kind of basically solidified. It's like smoke and mirrors. It's like, I tell people all the time, uh, it's like WWE and they've mastered it where, <laughs> Both parties just have this way. It's all this drama. Oh, uh, his bank account, that, this, all these other things. But at the same time, these same senators say on the left, they're all signing bills. They're signing budgets for all the things that Trump wants. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're all signing off on it. And right. like you said, it's all to the detriment of us. Everything else works so smooth for corporations mm-hmm. and all the agendas, but anything that improves the common man, mm-hmm. it's it's like pulling teeth. So I think you get it's up or down. Mm-hmm. And the right. question is, can how do we start to unify the party? The people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I think you know that's part of I mean that's that's again that's part of why I'm running and is because I think one of the things is and I mentioned it earlier we have to start appealing to people's values. You know, we have to, and, and I also think we need truth tellers. We mm. need people who are going to go to Washington DC and pull the curtain back on what's actually happening. We okay. have to pull the curtain back and say, look, we are still giving $20 billion a year to fossil fuel companies that are the richest companies in the world and are killing us. And we're, right. and your tax dollar, my tax dollar, we're giving them $20 billion a year. Now, do you know that? Do you think about that? No, because no one talks about it. And when they right. say, well, where are we going to get money for green energy? Or where are we going to get money for healthcare?" I'm like, well, I got 20 billion right here. And I can go mm. to any community hall in America and I can say, raise your hand if you think that money should go to fossil fuel companies and no one will raise their hand. And if I say, raise your hand if you think it should go to healthcare for people who don't have it, every hand you know, Absolutely. and I think that's what we have to start doing is, is telling the truth and then connecting the dots. And, you know, we're up in Maine, we're right near the Canadian border. Yep. And I see people who say they, you know, they can't afford their insulin. You know, the, the young man who died because he was watering right. insulin, right? Right. 
And the reason that our insulin is 20 times higher than it is in Maine, than, than it is two miles across the border in Canada, is directly related to the $7 billion the pharmaceutical companies gave in money to politicians. We have, to, we have to connect those dots for people and say, this matters. This makes a difference. And, you know, we got to get smart. And when we see those, you know, those millions of TV ads, we got to say, who's paying for those ads? And what right. are you investing in? Because it's not what you and I need. They're in, they're getting, right. They want a return on their investment. And that return is for their bottom line, not for ours. You know, and I think we just have to start talking that way and then and then saying, you know, and then laying out a vision of how it could be different. Right. So you mentioned fossil fuel would be one way we can pay for Medicare for all. So I have a lot of friends that even on this show, I have people that treat me and ask me questions all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, how are we, we going to pay for Medicare for all? I don't want my taxes to go up. Uh, I don't want to have to pay for somebody else's health coverage and things like that. So you're saying we already have places that money are going to that it necessarily doesn't need to go there. So we can we distribute that and put them into healthcare so we can take care of everybody else. Absolutely. And we're already paying for everybody else. Like we're already paying it in charity care and hospitals for people who aren't covered, in insurance premiums that go crazy because other people aren't covered. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Medicare for all is cheaper. And you know what they try to do, and this is this is makes me sad. And I'd love your you guys your opinion on how we do this. But really, you know, when I when I do this, and we can't do it because you can't see it. But when I go on do town halls, I I take a big piece of you know graph paper, chart paper, and I say, uh-huh. tell me what you're paying for healthcare. So then we got you know we've got the monthly premium that are crazy. Uh-huh. And then we have the deductible that's crazy, and then we have uh-huh. the copays that are crazy, and then we have the things that aren't covered, right? So basically, right. our graph is like you know sky high. And then I said, so if we did Medicare for all, the bar graph would be a third of that. Now, what right. they're going to scare you about is who you're going to write the check to. Right. And because you're not writing it to some insurance company where the CEO is taking the money and pocketing it and going to the Bahamas, we're writing it to this federal government. They want to scare you and say, ah, oh, your taxes are going to go up. Well, no, right. you know, you're going to pay less than you're paying now. And so I think right. appeal to people's intelligence and say, come on, let's think about this. Let's get away from all the, you know, the people who are paying millions of dollars to the media and to politicians to keep it the way it is so they can keep making their billions of dollars in profits. And let's actually right. talk about how we pay for the things that matter, which is making sure people can stay healthy. And we got to right. that way. We got to be, you know, people are smart. And I think if we talk plain and simply and show it, people will get it and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. actually, you're right. You know, yeah. instead of talking points that they've heard. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's also where you're getting your information from, though. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because when Trump was running, you know, he he just pumped and just like flooded the airways. Even CNN and every news media was covering him, and every negative thing he was saying was getting attention. So, yeah, there They're are still folks doing out it. there, right? And there are folks out there that only takes those things, and that's what they care about. You know, so like for example, right now, if you look at it, there was a video uh, on your on your account online on Twitter where you have Tucker Carlson talking about how the staying at home order hasn't doesn't there's no evidence to say it actually works, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> so so if you have people that watch Fox News and that's all they see, right? They're gonna believe every single thing that comes out of that. And then you have folks that watch CNN, so two sides of extremes and they're gonna believe every single thing that comes out of that. So and you have folks like me that I get my news from OC. You know, I don't know where you get this from. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I go with. So, like, how do we fix that? Because that's really what the problem is. Trump can reach everybody, but I feel like the Democratic Party can reach every audience. So, but Trump reaches everybody because when he speaks, good or bad, mostly bad, it gets national attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
I mean, I think part of it is what you guys are doing, right? I mean, we've right. got to start thinking about how to talk to our friends and neighbors. And, you know, one of the things I said in um, before we had to shut down was the only way we could win this race against Susan Collins, me or anybody, frankly, is right. keeping people at a kitchen table. You know, we got right. to sit down and have the hard conversations. You know, I grew up on the back of a lobster boat. My grandpa lobstered off the coast, right? And it's right. like, and if I go to talk to those guys and women who are fishing and I say, let's talk about climate change. They're like, oh, shut up, Betsy. You know, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, but right. say, let's talk about how your lobster catch is doing. And the fact that it's gone down 30% because the water's so hot now that the lobsters keep going further north and further out. Well, then we'll have a conversation. Right. So I think if we sit down with our neighbors and say, how are you feel? You feeling pretty secure about your health care? You feeling pretty secure about your income? You know, and I think we also right. have to use this moment. We've got 40 million more people, tragically, who have lost their jobs in the last two months. And so oh, when they tell us, when the, when the in talk. Maine, no, no, they'll cross the country. In Maine, it's been like 60,000 people, so which is huge for us and, and higher than it's ever been. But right, in, right, across right. the country, you know, all the 60 million people. And, yeah, 40 million. And then imagine that, imagine that, you know, just two months ago, the talking point was people love their employer-sponsored health care. Well, now 40 million people have not only lost their jobs, but they've lost their health care. So that means we should have 40 million more people saying, huh, maybe that's not such a good idea. And right. now we have a door that's open that wasn't open before to say we have got to cover everybody for health care. You know, Absolutely. I think we have to look for those opportunities. The same thing with unemployment, you know, yeah. and we've, we've, we've done this thing that I, I hope it's a silver lining out of what we're going through. But, you know, for so many decades, we have said to people, if you are, if you need assistance or you need help or you're unemployed or there's something wrong with you individually, you're a problem or you didn't work hard enough or you, you know, and when really we know that it was system issues, it was systemic issues. It's the way we're organized as a society. Right. And so now those 40 million people they didn't do a damn thing wrong to lose their jobs. Right? right. So now people get it that we have like really deep systemic issues that we've got to deal with and not about an individual being good or bad if they need help. It's about how our, you know, how we're organized. I know that's a little, in the philosophical realm, but I think it's a, I do think it's a door that gets to what um, Osi was saying, which is, I think this is how we're going to start to get to people beyond the media. Right. So, so you mentioned how, when you go to your town halls, you have these demonstrations and you get the folks involved. And I love that idea about it because I think a lot of folks, especially as we get older, we learn more visually being able to look at things and, you know, and see things moving. Um, There was a picture online an article online about how, uh, the sky in India has just cleared out. I mean, you can see the sky yeah. now in India. And if you remember before, it's been just cloudy, just dirty. Um, so, right. And there's a lot of articles on there saying, since we all been locked in the house, the climate has gotten better. Like, the air is better. Things have gotten better. Do we just need to start just locking everybody in the house for a, a month out of the year to, <laughs> as a part of the Green New Deal? Should we just do something that extreme? Like, you know, one month out of the year, everybody just stay home, stay home. right? <laughs> My daughter said the same thing. She was like, Mom, I think we should just, like, everybody should just stay home one month a year. Every, right. No, no driving, you know? And I think, well, again, I think it's a window to say to people, look, what we do matters. 
Right. You know, like this idea that it didn't matter and, you know, all the climate deniers, all that stuff. But, you know, what we do matters. And so I'm hoping that when we uh, emerge from this or as we emerge from this, we're going to learn, we're going to say, okay, we, we're not going back. You know, somebody said, and I think it's so true, we don't have to work. We should not be thinking about reopening America. We should be thinking about reimagining America. Absolutely. Nice. Wow. Right. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. We need to think about reimagining how we could make our system more equitable and just cleaner. Mm. How do we reimagine doing things that aren't going to result in skies where you can't see for a mile, but you know, um, and the dirty water and the hot water, you know, like I think that that's, that's the moment that we're in, you know, and, or we could be in. And again, it's, I mean, not to bring it back, but it, you know, it, it's why I'm running. It's because right. I think we need leaders who say, no, 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 we, we're not right. going backwards. We're going to go forward now. We're going to go in a different way. And let's, let's, let's use our smart brains and figure out how to do that. So this is a permanent solution, you know, not a, not right. a one time, one month, you know, six month, six week thing, but we make these into permanent solutions that make it a better, you know, a better country and a better world. Right. Yeah. You know, Betsy, I have to ask, um, I mean, I, I feel like, you're saying a lot of the things that a lot of Americans feel, and I think the majority of Americans feel. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last few months, just listening to the politics and uh, back and forths on both parties, I mean, uh, on on the Democratic side, even with with the bills that have been passed to help with the the, the issues that have come up since the coronavirus and how automatic the help to Wall Street Wall Street and corporations, how easy that's been versus how hard it's been. I mean, a $1,200 check for a populace you've had at home for two to three months now. Right, right. Um, Right. Yeah. When you see all these and then just how depraved it seems the politics has become and do you have a sinking feeling like is this a an empire that's falling apart? I mean, yeah. what is the way forward? I mean, we even look at the two main candidates uh, right now. I mean, how do you? What's the path forward? Yeah, well, that's right. That's the big, you know, fifty-four thousand dollar question, right? So it's like, and I think that. Again, I'm an I'm an eternal optimist and um, have been for my whole life. That's but a good I thing. Think, yeah, I think though that this is this is the thing is we we have these openings where the American people and you know all across this country again vast majority of people um, are ready to say whoa 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 wait a minute we got to do something different and so I think we need leaders not just in politics but everywhere to say bring people together and say oh oh wait a second you know wait a minute we're not going to do it this way and here's an idea i think the path forward part of the problem is everything is changing right our demographics are changing our economy is changing it's all and then people don't like change we're, we're humans we, we like things the way they were so when this guy came along and said hey we're going to make america great again we're going to go back to where we were People who were nervous about change, which is all of us, said, oh, shoot, good. Okay. Woo, okay. We get that. Because <laughs> progressives and Democrats and people have not painted a picture of the future that people can see themselves in. Right. 
And so a lot of what I spend time doing is I say, okay, let's all wake up together on an, you know, on a, on a new morning, right? That sounds very, that sounds very kitschy, but you know, right. and let's say that you go to a job that you actually only have to have one and it pays enough for your roof over your head and your food and, you know, some essentials and a little bit of extra on the side to enjoy right. life. And then let's say somebody gets sick and actually you don't worry about taking them to the doctor. You just go. And you don't right. walk out saying, oh, gosh, I, I don't have that 150 bucks to pay for a copay. But you just go. And then, you you know, you go enjoy being outside in nature. And then, you know, we have community where we all care about each other. But we just actually paint the picture of a day in the life of where it's just and fair and mm. okay. You know, and I think people can, it captures people's imagination instead of their fear. And right. I, that's that's our challenge and that's our opportunity is we are so based and steeped in fear. Fear mm. of other people, fear of somebody's going to get something I don't have, fear of that right. someone's take something from me instead of appealing to the best in us and say, okay, we can come together and figure out how everybody does okay. And then we go from there. You know, but first everybody's got to do okay and then we'll go, you know. And I think I do think that's people's essential nature. I, I do. Mm. And, and I right. think I think it's been scared out of us, but I think if we, had, if we had some people talking about it and leading in with that in mind, I think people would grab onto it. Absolutely. You, you hit it on the head. I think what we're dealing with here is, um, and it seems to be unfortunately getting worse, beyond the media and all the stuff they put out, it seems like the, we, the middle class, working class, lower class has been squeezed so much and there have been so little scraps left mm-hmm. that any any attempt or perceived attempt to take that away from people turns into just people fighting each other for whatever reason, whatever the, the different sides might be, be it immigrants or whatever the case is. Yeah. There's so little on the table for the middle class now that anything can be triggered, used to trigger everybody and get resentments high. So we really need, like you said, to to just start to paint the picture for people for the way forward. But I have to ask, um, clearly the path, it's like a hurdle when you're doing a race. Um, (laughs) The first being, uh, I think, Sarah Gideon, mm-hmm. and then thereafter, uh, Su- Susan Collins. So Collins, what, right. how, how do you envision clearing each of these hurdles? What's your game plan? And how can people help you? How can our listeners help you? All right. Well, that's um, that's great. Well, let me just first say, you know, I want to go back to something else you were saying about how people, we've taught to be resent each other, right? And we resent the right. person next us or below us instead of resenting friggin amazon that just made 434 billion dollars in profits in the last two months and is paying zero in taxes right, right. why aren't we all mad about that that's what we should right. be mad about. not about the person right. before who got five dollars extra in their unemployment check right so i'm sorry i'm sorry absolutely <laughs> but I, no that's it that's no i mean that's right. it that's what we need. So, so anyway, so yeah, I have to clear two big hurdles. And the first one is this primary, which is on July 14th. Um, and you know, the way I think we're going to do it, I really feel like this is a tortoise and hare race because of this establishment versus non-establishment race, right and left. This is doing things, you know, the democratic 
National Committee, DS, uh, DSCC, Democratic State Committee, has put its full body weight behind Sarah Gideon. Isn't that crazy? And and so, you know, they should leave us alone, let us do our own primaries. But Absolutely. They, they've done that. But, but what they want is the same old, same old. Yeah. And so if you look at what they, they've done this around the country in a number of races, yeah. and the candidates all say the same thing, their websites yeah. look same. They're not yeah. allowed to talk about issues. They don't take questions unless they're submitted three days in advance and they can poll test the answer. They're not. Yeah. I mean, and, and people see through that. You know, right. so, so right. I, I people are hungry for real people. I mean, I, and I'm so we are doing organizing. I am on social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or someplace live every day for 30 minutes a day, asking mm. anybody's question you know, whether it's help to get, you know, help with their unemployment check or what do you think about Green New Deal or what do you think about the spirit of America? You know, like doesn't matter yeah. what we talk right. Um, and I think people are gravitating toward that. And also this is going to be a really low turnout election because it was postponed from June till July. And in mm. May, July, there's not a lot of people voting, thinking about elections, honest to God, <laughs> to say. Yeah. Well, help us a little bit because we are organizers and we will get our folks out. So, um, but we need help. And the great thing about, we've had to do everything digitally now, but the great thing about that is people can help from anywhere in the country. So you, know, you can you can make phone calls from anywhere in the country. You can help us, you know, um, spread social media anywhere in the country. So and you can you can donate from anywhere in the country. And well. I, that was my next thing, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, people can help if you go to BetsySweet.com. We are raising money. We are uh, a clean funded campaign. No dirty right. money. No lobbyist money. Lots of small donations, which we're proud of. But as my father used to say when we were, you know, picking wild strawberries, which are little tiny things, these are great, but it takes a lot of these to make a dozen. So, yeah, we need people to help dig deep with that and also helping us on social media. Like you got this is awesome. It's so great to talk to you and, you know, following us on Twitter, getting our stuff out, putting our yes. you know, following us on Instagram, spreading the right. word. Those are all things that really help. And there are way around the media, their way, there are way around the big millions of dollars and they're right. effective. They're really effective. Right. And I love that. I love everything you just say in that last few minutes. I think it really, uh, sum up everything that you're running for and, uh, why you are the right candidate. Uh, and I know also mentioned the party divide, you know, how we have the divide between the party. Uh, and then, uh, so this kind of lead me to this question for you is Bernie, right? Yeah. What happened? Like Bernie, Supposed to poke the poke the eye of the system, I poke the system in the eye. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, that was not good enough. So, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of Bernie supporters out there. And you mentioned how the the party's actually supporting somebody you're running against right now, which it yeah. shouldn't be. Yeah. So, and that kind of reminds me of Bernie's situation. So, what happened with Bernie? And I mean, why is this happening? Though, why are they just getting involved and just isolating one person against the other when they're both in the same party? Yeah. Um, well. I think because they want to keep control and keep things exactly the way they are. Right. And I think Bernie, when you have a, you know, seven person primary and you don't have ranked choice voting, like we do have here in Maine, which is so awesome. That is mm. awesome. That is you know, awesome. Imagine, you know, if we had had ranked choice voting in this presidential primary, it would look very different because very different. added up the votes of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and maybe even Cory Booker, you know, I mean, if you added up some of the more progressive people um, yeah. and, put all of those together, that's way more votes than anybody else got. Absolutely. But instead, we just have to have the best of seven candidates, right? So you only mm -hmm. have to have 10% or 20% or 30%, you know? And so, right. so, and I think the other thing that happened is that 
people, because Trump is so terrible, people got scared. People got scared and they said, she's, yes, I really love Bernie. I really love Warren. But what if they're, what if they can't, what if they can't beat Trump? You know, what if they, oh, oh, oh. And then of course the national establishment said exactly that. Hey, guess what? You should be scared because they can't, even though I don't think that's true. That's they they use fear to divide us and fear to keep us quiet and fear, you know, and, and then that fear translated into what people talked about and what they could. And so the people that we could excite young people, new Americans, people about a new vision, Stayed yeah. home because no one's no one's talking about it, right? You know, or the person they're talking about say, "Oh, they can't win; they'll divide us." You know, and it's like it's it's so ironic that that's what they're saying. So I think again in Maine we have ranked choice voting, which is so awesome, and so that's not going to happen in this primary. And so I think again, and I also think that people, what's that saying? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Right. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, or whatever that. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You didn't pull. You didn't pull it, George Bush. You're right. <laughs> so I think people are saying, "Holy, holy, we're not going to have a strong progressive at the top." The uh, state Senate is the next place, and if we could get a strong progressive with another voice like Bernie's in the Senate, like Elizabeth Warren in the Senate, then we are going to have. Then they're going to have much more influence over the president, whoever it is. And be able to do some of this organizing. So if you think about it, me and in Iowa and Colorado, some of the places, we're the highest, I mean, it sounds so stupid, but highest ranking progressives that have a real chance at winning. Right. Like we can actually win this race. And then this, and you know, both the primary and the general, if people help all over. And so so I think that's a difference for us. And, um, and it's different than presidential politics, but it's almost as impactful. Right, right. And if you're out of state, obviously, if you're listening out of state or out of state, uh, uh, what do you call it? Someone lives out of state. You obviously cannot vote, but you can donate money to her, Betsy, with a campaign. Yes. Uh, yes you know, we, don't want, we don't want you committing no voter fraud by voting no. with. <laughs> yeah. uh, we know the president doesn't really condone such things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I, I did see a few things on your website that I want to touch on briefly uh, sure. before we wrap up. Um, there was a thing on it that says that one in four U.S. workers have no paid sick leave. Yep. And when I read that, I, first of all, I didn't know that. So when I read that, first thing that came to my mind was that has to be illegal, right? Like they have no paid sick leave. Like that has to be illegal. And if it's not, we have to make that illegal, correct? Yes, we have to. Because, right. And so now again, but Johnny, this is exactly what I was talking about, the opening we have now, right? So now we would hope, I would hope, that as human beings, if you were sick, I would care about you and I would want you to stay home and be well. And we, right. that's true for most people. But for some people, they've been taught not to give a crap, give a, you know, what, what's wrong with you. But now right. in the in the era of COVID and an airborne pandemic, if you're sick and you come to work, you're going to get me sick. Everybody gets I'm sick. I'm going to go home and get my family sick. So now right. I have a little more interest in um, in you having paid sick leave as well as me. So, um, you know, I helped write the first family medical leave bill in the country back in 1986. Um, and you couldn't even get time off to go care for a sick parent or a kid or a spouse, even with no pay, you would still mm. lose your job. So we have to get paid sick leave and we have to get paid family leave. And you're right. We have to make it illegal for employers not to, not to give that to people. That's just true. 
that just sounds inhumane. Like when I read that, I was just like, that can't be true. I have to ask because that's just craziness. Yeah. Um, so, so let's get to some fun stuff. Uh, we really appreciate you being here and talking to us and uh, giving us more information on the issues you stand with and how you plan to give it of a uh, old lady Susan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I'll ask you this: though. When you have to relax, how do you relax? What oh. What do you do? To, what do you do to relax? Okay, uh, I do a couple of things. Um, I love to dance. And I have oh. three spectacular daughters. I have a 25-year-old and twin 21-year-olds. Or 22-year-olds, nice. yeah. And so we do a lot of kitchen dancing, which is, well, that's what I mean by dancing. I don't mean like fancy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was trying to get a food details of that. So <laughs> I, was, I was preparing salsa club. Right. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. It's not that anybody else wants to see. It's just what I do. <laughs> it's a fancy dance. Okay. Yeah, yeah, kitchen dancing. And then I... um. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big outdoors person. So I actually am a pretty amateur, but very enthusiastic bird watcher. And I like to ride my bike and I like to, um, I have a little boat. My grandpa was a lobsterman, as I said, so I have a huge affinity for the ocean. So I have this pathetic little 1978 boat, but I love it that I take out on the ocean sometimes and, um, fit, go fishing. And I like that. And, uh, let's see what, and I like to say, I sing and I actually sing in a choir. So it's not as pathetic as my but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's both lovely. Uh, so, what about the uh, audiobook or music? What are you listening to? Let's see. Uh, that's a good question. So, a book um, right now, I'm reading um, Where the Crawdads Sing, which is so awesome. It's really fantastic. Um, I'm sorry, what was it? It's Where the Crawdads Sing. It's a story okay. about someone in the bayou, and it's just, it's really awesome in, in the South. And then I read, um, all the light we cannot see. So I like to read novels that are a little bit more meaningful than junk novels. So that's fun. And then, um, and then music. I am a Alicia Keys, um, folk pop kind of, you know, that's sort of vibe. Alicia Keys is good. That's a good one, Betsy. You know, you get, you get some new followers for that. That's a good one. (laughs) Well, I, I, uh, my, when I ran for governor two years ago, my dream was at the inauguration is to have Alicia Keys come sing "This Girl's on Fire." <laughs> oh, wow. oh, look at that. We're still going to see that, hopefully, for the Senate. Hopefully, hopefully, when you when you get rid of Susan and you get in there, that would still be uh, Alicia <laughs> Keys. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. What about meal? Favorite meal? Um. Hmm. I love, well, I, you know, I'm a lobster girl cause I'm from Maine and my grandpa's a lobster <laughs> Absolutely. So how can, right. Uh, and I'm also a, I'm a sushi person. I like sushi a lot. Um, and what else? And I love some, uh, cornmeal and green and greens are another favorite of mine. So, you know, we're, I'm pretty eclectic. I, my favorite food is something that someone else cooks. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Yeah, I'd love to cook, but I just have time. So if somebody else makes it for me, I love it. <laughs> Find out it cooks and you eat. That's it. Exactly. That sounds good. Oh, so you have anything for uh, for Betsy? Pardon me? Go ahead. Oh, so, no, you have another question for Betsy? No, I don't. I just wanted to congratulate her for, right. you know, being out there, putting yourself out there, not just for yourself, but for your fellow uh, main residents and Absolutely. all of us at the end of the day, because right. it's, we can't give up. We got to fight. And no. people like you are inspiring me to, Hey, I got, I have to, yeah. 
I observe all this and I know that it's two wings, same bird with regards to the establishment uh, parties mm -hmm. uh, in the mm -hmm. sense of the upper echelon establishment groups. Yeah. And it, that, that, the natural reaction is to say, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can't help myself. I take in information all the time and you can tell the games that are being played. And my natural inclination is to say, well, uh, it's just going to keep happening. But people like you stepping out and saying, right, you know, right. so, right. um, it just gives me hope. And uh, I want to, inspires me to, to be better myself. So thank you for what you do. Uh, we'll definitely be donating uh, to, to the cause and be watching out, watching for everything. Thank you. Well, you know, OC, I just want to say one thing about that. And I'm, it's so great to talk with you guys. I'm really honored to be with you. Um, and it's really fun. But, I, you know, when young people say to me, geez, Betsy, you've been doing this for a long time. You're sort of old and you're still enthusiastic and you're still optimistic. And, right. why? you know, why? How? And I say, well, two things. One is that I believe it doesn't have to be this way in right. my bones. I know we can do better than this. And you know, right. the other thing is that my dad, I'm the youngest of five kids. And my dad used to say to us kids, now you kids, when you leave a place, you make sure you leave it better than you found it. Now he mm. meant to sweep the floor and make the bed. I thought he meant to change the world. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> I feel like it's my destiny, you know, I got to right. <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah, no. Go ahead and tell the people um exactly how they can help. You know where your what your website is, and how they can donate, yeah. and how they can follow Absolutely. and be supportive. Absolutely. So if you go to um, Betsy Sweet um, B E T S Y S W E T dot com, and right. that's my website. And then my all my social media is Betsy Sweet M E, which is main um, Betsy Sweet Me Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, Reddit, all that stuff. So we are. We are there. We want you. Wow, you are ready as well. Yeah. Wow, you are everywhere for real. Hip and groovy. <laughs> <laughs> love it. We love it. Yeah. So, uh, so please, please help us. Please be involved into whatever, whatever um, way you can. You know, if you can do a little bit, just try and do a little bit more because we, you know, we've got fifty-three days left before we right. hit this hit this hurdle, and I really think we can do it. I really am excited. I think we can do this. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate you taking the time out. Oh, thank uh, you. Have a great Friday, a great weekend. Enjoy thank yourself. You too. Uh, get some seafood and um, dance some more dancing. Yeah, exactly. Just some more dancing. <laughs> And uh, have, a, have a great rest of your day, Betsy. Thank you so much. All right. Well, you guys are awesome. And um, really, thanks so much for having me. And uh, hopefully the next time we'll chat, I will be the official nominee and then uh, as senator. Yes, absolutely. We are rooting for you. Absolutely. We can't wait for that. All right. You take good care, guys. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.